Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our Director of Media and Worship, Susan Alloway. All right, I am taking us into our scripture reading for tonight, the passage that Susan will be teaching from. So this is Luke chapter four, verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. When he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zavarephath, in the region of Sidon. Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marjorie. Well, I am really glad to be here with you guys today. It's so good to see all of you. Um, my mom and sisters are here, even though I'm sure they will hate being pointed out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a blessing to be here and it's, it's good to see you all. Um, so this afternoon, my sermon is called this, you are less special than you think and much more special than you could ever deserve. You are less special than you think and more special than you could ever deserve. We're going to dig into this passage. In what Marjorie just read, Jesus goes to his hometown synagogue, which is essentially a prayer meeting. Um, and the people there are Jesus's family and friends. So he knows these people. 
And at this point in his ministry, Jesus has started to get a little bit of celebrity in the region, um, among other towns specifically, including, including people who are not Jewish. And so when Jesus comes home, the people in his hometown are proud of him. They feel a little bit cool by association. So when then Jesus gets up, he gets up to read scripture, which was normal for him and normal for any guy who would have been at these sorts of meetings. And Jesus reads from the prophet Isaiah. It's a passage that was written to the Jews long ago when they were in exile in Babylon. The people who are listening to Jesus read this, they know this book, they know this history. And because of it, they carry this narrative in their hearts. We are an oppressed people. Their history shows this. They're, they've been slaves, they've gone into exile. These are the repeating stories of their people. And even now, even though they're back in Israel, they are controlled by the Romans. They're not free to do as they please and prosper on their own. They're having to give really big taxes to the people who control them. And so when Jesus proclaims through Isaiah that there's good news, that freedom is coming for those who are oppressed, that there's gonna be sight for the blind and a great leveling of power is here, and that Jesus himself is the Messiah who will bring it all about, they clap him on the back and they say, amen. Like, this is good news. Today is a good day for the oppressed. But Jesus continues his speech. This is what he says to them. He says, surely you're going to quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you'll tell me, do hear in your hometown what we've heard that you did in other places, in Capernaum. Do these miracles. But Jesus says, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, Elijah being another prophet. And during that time, the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the whole land. There were widows then, and yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in a region of Sidon, a place outside of Israel. And there were many people inside Israel who had leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and yet not one of them was cleansed either. Only Naaman, the Syrian, who was also outside of Israel. So what's he saying to them? He's saying you're not as special as you think. He says to them, you might see yourselves as oppressed, as the underdog, as the people with the history of slavery and captivity and exile, but let's not forget why your ancestors went into exile in the first place. I'm gonna quote another passage from Isaiah. It's Isaiah 10, one through four. Why did the people go into exile? This is why. He says, woe to those who make unjust laws 
to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. The people of Israel had gone into exile because they were oppressing and devouring one another. And God had had enough. God's people had been called to be a light to the world, to live differently, to be the one group of people who represented God well by showing kindness and justice and fairness and love and generosity. To do this and to teach it and to spread it so that all the world would be blessed with peace. It'd be a world kingdom where the fruits of the spirit of God reigned. They were chosen. They were special. But they didn't keep up their end of the bargain. Instead, they chose to live like the nations around them. Nations who took advantage of the poor within their society and who had an eat or be eaten mentality toward those of different tribes. They neglected to care for the widows and the orphans and they lived by the sword and the desires and lusts of their heart. Jesus points this out and he points out that those standing in that synagogue, his friends and his relatives, people that he knows, they're still doing the same thing. They're not the oppressed. This good news is not for them, at least not in this context. It's for the people that they didn't care for this week. This news that he reads is for the non-Jewish people in Capernaum, where he'd just come from. Gentiles whom the Jews despised and looked down on instead of sharing the love and blessings of God. Jesus points out that the people in this room with him are not as special as they think. And so what happens? This makes them really mad, right? They try to kill him. The turnaround here is kind of shocking and they literally try to murder a guy for challenging their beliefs. And yet this isn't actually new. In scripture, this has happened over and over again in the Old Testament. The Israelites killed their prophets who criticized them for being corrupt, who told them to turn back to the ways of God. And I've always felt like this was super foreign, um, something that happened in ancient societies or in other countries until I experienced the election this past year. And until I experienced the attack on the Capitol, um, and until I saw the things that I've seen done and said by the people on both political sides who claim to be followers of the living God, of the same God that I follow. I find it shocking and distressing and revolting. But this past year has also made me check myself. It's let me know that I, and my tribe too, 
I'm not exempt from Jesus's criticism here. So I'm gonna give you an example. I am a female, we know this. That's one of my tribes. Being female is one of my tribes. And the people in that tribe have been oppressed, repressed, degraded, undervalued, underpaid, taken advantage of, and underestimated since the dawn of humanity. In other centuries, I would be killed for even attempting or daring to address you all today. I have a, I have a passion about this. Um, and I'm really glad for how far we've come, honestly. But the thing is, if I'm not careful, I could let my identity as part of an oppressed tribe blind me into thinking that I don't need to care about other tribes. I could let it blind me into thinking that I don't need to care about you and your tribe. Because, because if my people have been oppressed, then I don't need to do anything to help you out, right? I don't need to care whether laws are just concerning you. In fact, it's totally fine if I cheer for your downfall and treat you with disdain and disrespect because you're not like me. Or maybe your tribe has even been one of the ones that has oppressed me. But that doesn't really smell like Jesus, does it? Do not seek revenge on one who wrongs you. Blessed are the peacemakers. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Those are Jesus quotes. In Luke 4, Jesus reminds me that I'm not as special as I think. I might have hurts and they deserve justice, but my hurts do not make me more special or important than you and your hurts. So that's the first thing that we see in this passage. The second thing that Jesus shows us in Luke 4, 14 through 30 show, uh, shows up right at the end. So the people of the synagogue, Jesus's friends and family, they're so mob angry that they try to literally throw him off a cliff to his death. And what does Jesus do? It says he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. He goes all superhero on them. Like, I don't know if he turns invisible or freezes time so that only he can move or if he uses some Jedi mind trick to confuse them. But either way, he just leaves totally unscathed, calm as can be. And that's some pretty non-anxious presence right there. I know I'm being kind of silly, but what this superhero scene is supposed to remind us of is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. These people just tried to kill not just a prophet, 
but God, because they didn't like him criticizing their religious tradition. And instead of burning them to a crisp, Jesus walks calmly away, parting the crowd like Moses did the Red Sea. This story tells us that despite how crappy and selfish and broken these people are, despite how crappy and selfish and broken we are, God has sent message after message, prophet after prophet, to tell us that we belong to love. And finally, God shows up in the form of Jesus himself to do the same. This story tells us that while we are less special than we might think, we are far more special, more precious, more important to God than we deserve. And that's because of God's character, not ours. I want to end this point and my sermon um, by reading you the end of the story of the book of Jonah. This is possibly my favorite story in the Bible because I actually see a lot of myself in Jonah, um, which for any of you who don't know the story of Jonah very well, that's actually a bad thing. Um, so to get you caught up, Jonah is a prophet, a messenger of God, and God tells Jonah to go to the very wicked and violent city of Nineveh and to give them this message. Repent, turn from your evil ways, or God will destroy the city and everything in it. But Jonah's a coward, and he runs away. He doesn't want to deliver the message. And yet after some crazy circumstances, Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, he finally delivers the message, and then he walks up on a hill and he waits for God to destroy the city. And that's where we pick up in this story. So Jonah 3, 10 through 4, 11. When God saw what Nineveh did and how they had turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Yeesh, what a baby. But the Lord replies, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place, a place east of the city. Now, I highlighted the word east because anytime in the Bible where you see the word east, you're supposed to think of the idea that this person is going away from God. They're leaving God. So Jonah goes out, he gets away from God as far as possible because he's mad, and he sits down on a place east of the city. There, 
He made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said. I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Jonah's a coward and Nineveh is very violent. But the real reason Jonah wanted God to destroy the people of this city is because he didn't like them. He didn't care about them. They weren't from his tribe. They probably smelled funny and ate different food and had different customs. They were different. And as such, he wasn't able or willing to see them the way that God saw them with compassion and concern and love. So we are less special than we think. We're not cool. We screw up a lot. We kind of suck most of the time, if we're really honest. But God will do anything, anything to mold us anew and help us smell more like Jesus. Not because we deserve it, but because God is awesome enough to still love us and stick it out despite our stench. My prayer is that 2021 would be a year where all of us can see all the other tribes with the same love that God has for us. That's my prayer. Amen. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.